welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back to another episode of Fracture Line. I'm your host today because uh, Dr. Crisco is absent. I'm Zach Bauman. And uh, happy to be here, uh, joined with actually one of my residents from the University of Nebraska Medical Center, Dr. Chris Sutek. Dr. Sutek, if you want to go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you, that'd be fantastic. Hi, my name is Krista Sutek. Thank you for having me. As Dr. Bowen mentioned, I am a resident at the University of Nebraska. I'm currently a third year. I'm from Colorado. I guess I, cliche, love all the Colorado things. And I never lived anywhere else until I moved to Omaha, but pleasantly surprised. What kind of name is Stute? I'm told it's Czechoslovakian, but I'll be honest. The lineage of that is far past what I can remember. What's it like being a buffalo in Husker Land? <laughs> well, it's funny you should ask, because actually I went to CSU, so technically I'm oh, a Rams yeah. fan. Yeah. But I grew up in Boulder, or just outside of Boulder, so the house is a little bit divided. Mm. But I don't think you could be in Nebraska without getting on the Huskers bandwagon. Oh, I absolutely, absolutely, many years. You're mm-hmm. right. My mom's claim to fame is she makes our scrub hats, and so my intern year, she made my whole class Hus- Nebraska Huskers scrub hats, and so I guess the indoctrination started early on. It's been a, it's been a rough two decades to be a Husker fan, though. I'll tell you that much. So, it's so true. Krista, what are your career aspirations? What kind of surgeon do you want to be ultimately? People keep asking me this, and I feel Trauma. like it changes Trauma. every day. Trauma. 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 She wants I, to be I a came... rib surgeon. Yep. Yep. That's it. The only acceptable answer here, right? A rib surgeon. No, no. We want. We want the truth. I came to residency wanting to do community general surgery. I used to say rural general surgery, but like all things in Nebraska, things has a bit of a different meaning. Um, So I think I probably mean more community general surgery than rural general surgery. But I'll be honest, I feel like everything I do, I like. And so depending on what rotation I've just come off of, you'll probably find me being like, hmm, I should do that. But in the last six months, I've really been leading towards critical care and trauma. And I'm not just saying that right now. So we'll see. But I really do enjoy that aspect of what we do. Let's be honest. It's it's probably from my great mentorship. I think every time I get a new pair of running shoes, I think these are the best running shoes I've ever had. Yes. I'll, I'll always love them. Yes. And then I buy my next running pairs. I'm like, no, these are the best pair of running yes. shoes I've ever had. Yes. It's so true. And it's it's like, you know, I did it as an intern and I was like, okay, this is, this is like an intern thing. You know, I feel like our program's cool because you do like all the subspecialties and so you have all this exposure and I didn't have that stuff in medical school where I trained. I just had sort of general surgery and not subspecialty things. And so, but then it happened again when I was a second year and now I'm a third year and I'm like, oh man, really? But that's how I am. At one point in time, I thought I was going to do vascular and now I'm that's definitely a no. So I do have some definite no's, but we'll see what well, happens. Krista, you're, you're on a, a rural, quote, rural rotation right now. Tell us what yes. that's like. 
Well, I just started today, but <laughs> based on sort of, we do this rural rotations out here in Hastings, Nebraska, and Dr. Schroeder, actually, our preceptor was just telling me earlier that there are only 28 programs, general surgery programs in the country that have like classified rural rotations. He was just at ACS speaking about that, but Essentially, Hastings is about two and a half hours west of Omaha, and they see obviously a lot of critical access things. And so there's a couple surgeons here and on our rural rotation, and we work with them sort of broad scope general surgery, and then they do do, you know, any trauma that comes in and then gets transferred out. Wow. Are they fixing ribs there? You know, I don't think they're fixing ribs here, Dr. Bauman. Maybe not the place for you. It's time. It's time for outreach. This is your opportunity. This is the opportunity. It's interesting, but I just got a call from the operating room in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, about two hours ago. One of my former partners operating on a guy with multiple gunshot wounds to the lung. So, oh my gosh. Sleepy little Scotts Bluff, rural Nebraska, western Nebraska, has a knife and gun club, apparently. So there you go. I feel like we get that occasionally at the med center, you know, these big traumas that come from out here and then come to us once they've been stabilized. So it definitely happens. Yeah. Well, that's a case where the rural surgeons, the community surgeons, who oftentimes are more generalist than we are, actually have to walk out of the endo suite and go over and take care of a gunshot wound. It just underscores how diverse the rural surgeons really need to be. And they have to do things that they don't do often. And that's scary. That conversation comes up a lot when I, you know, talk to my attendings and subspecialties. Hey, well, what hap- What are you going to do if this walks in and you're a tiny hospital and you're the option? And I think one of the things that's always emphasized, just I guess as you can attest to, is that you always have people to call who can help you or, you know, in that situation as well. I'm going to have to brag on Krista a little bit here because she is a DO resident. She was actually just out at the American College of Osteopathic Surgeons a month ago and won the resident paper competition presentation out there presenting on uh, rib fractures and some studies that were coming out of the University of Nebraska. So I just uh, just want to say congratulations on that and just brag on her a little bit since I have her on fracture line this week. That's fantastic. We just lost her signal. So... You know what? She's really shy. Had to run off with the finishing touches on a manuscript right quickly. Right. Uh, like, I'm a shy wallflower. No. Well, will we uh, be seeing Krista in Charlotte? I guess that's the next logical question. I know that she actually is presenting for one of my partners at our Advances in Trauma Committee on Trauma Region 7 meeting next Wednesday. She'll be presenting down there a different study. And so she's got that going on. And so I know she's been doing a lot of traveling. I'm not sure how they run it through the residency program, but she'll be able to sneak away for additional presentations. But I imagine if I can get her down there, she'll come. So it'd be great. Well, Sarah, I know you had an interesting day yesterday in Seawest Land. Do you want to tell us a bit about it? Oh my goodness, did we ever. Between about five to six, I sent Dr. Bauman a text message disclosing how many submissions for scientific abstracts we had at the moment. And then I sent him a text message about five to 12, so six hours later, and we had gone up by 10 scientific abstracts in that six hours, which pretty much describes the previous 48 hours had gone. It was quite the jam-packed 48 hours. I will say we were about 72 hours out from the final submission deadline, and I think we had three abstracts, and we ended up with more than 45 total. So the last 72 hours. That's amazing. 
Oh man. It just went all right at the end. And honestly, I will tell you, at that like 72 hour mark, when we had three abstracts, I was going through my notes of like topics we had discussed because I was like, we're going to have to cut all these scientific you know, sessions. <laughs> we got to fill with other topics. What are we going to put in the agenda? And Dr. White kept saying to me, he's like, just calm down. It's going to be fine. Just calm down. I was like, no. We're 72 hours out, man. This is not okay. People are not this is not submitting. And I was having just a little bit of anxiety. So fortuitously, the last 72 hours, we just received a ton of abstracts. And we will have an abundance of riches to select from for the actual meeting. So that's fantastic. fantastic. It'll be a fantastic scientific program. <laughs> well, I know. I started combing through them. And there are so many impressive things, you guys. It's really exciting. And from all over. I mean, there are so many people that submitted that I don't even know. And, you know, there are certainly classics that are always fun and exciting to see, you know, what people are delving into. But then there are a ton of people that, that you know, we're going to have some new friends and, and colleagues. And I am really excited about that, too. So it, awesome. it has all the makings of a good meeting. But I want to hear all about this award. Tell me more. Well, I presented a paper or a uh, yeah manuscript of Dr. Bauman and I's at the ACOS or the American College of Osteopathic Surgeons in their resident paper competition. And our manuscript won first place, so that's very exciting. Our paper was entitled Hardware Infection from the Surgical Stabilization of Rib Fractures is Lower Than Previously Reported. So our research is based around, you know, the reported rates of hardware infection and the conclusions from our institution and from our database are actually half of what is currently or was published. I think in, in the literature, it's mainly between, or it was previously reported between 2.2 and 4%, but there's not really one specific number, I would say. And so we looked through our database in a, in a multi-center level two or higher institutional study. We did a retrospective review of our prospective database between the years of 2016 and 2020. It included all of our patients who underwent the surgical stabilization of rib fractures, both in the acute setting, and then we had a, pr a proportion of which was delayed. And so our primary outcome of our study was hardware infection. So the total number of patients in our study was 453, and we plated a total of just over 2,000 ribs. And within that study population, only two of our participants had a hardware infection. So that puts us at a rate of 0.4%. If we delve a little bit deeper into that data, one of those patients actually was a reoperation. So the patient had refractured a rib plate and on the second operation is when the infection occurred. So if you take him out of that data in the acute phase, then our infection rates are around 0.2%, which I think is really important. What do you think the cause is that Dr. Bauman's rate of infection is lower than other people? Do you think that maybe he washes his hands better than other people? Do you think, I've heard that some of our members like lick the plates clean before they put them on and maybe he doesn't do that. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I don't think he licks the plates. That's for sure. Okay. So we can rule that out. We can rule that out. You know, I think the main sort of contributor is the use of small incisions and muscle sparing technique. And sort of over time, as our techniques have improved, those things have also improved the overall infection rate. And I think that that's really important because if you look at like 
orthopedic literature where they obviously use a lot of hardware, the infection rates there are around 0.5%. So a publicized infection rate of, you know, 4, 2.2 to 4% in rib plating is a bit like, oh gosh, why? So this is a lot more, you know, congruent with other areas that we do hardware implantation. Krista, tell me how you know that they didn't go across town or out to Salt Lake City to have their hardware removed. Tell me how you are confident that it's that low. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, that's definitely a limitation in our study would be patients that are lost to follow up. But overall, in our trauma patient population and within our rib fracture database, we have good follow up rates. Okay. I do have to give a shout out to Adam K because we, we combined patients with him as well. So it was his uh, center as well as ours. That's how we got so many for it. Do you think rib fracture patients are different than your average trauma patient with respect to follow-up rates and that sort of thing? Do you think it's a different clientele? Because as you know, notoriously hard to get many trauma patients to come back for follow-up. Are are rib fracture patients a little bit more married to their surgeons or what do you think? I think one of the important, and you guys can obviously weigh in on your opinions on this, like a lot of rib fractures are from blunt injuries. And I think if you were to look at mechanisms of injury, like patients who have blunt injuries tend to be of a different demographic than a lot of patients who say have penetrating injuries. And so I think that leads to differences in follow-up care and things like that. I'm guessing that also explains why, the, in, so, in some way, why infection rates are as low as they are is because these patients tend to have blunt injury and not penetrating mechanisms. So. Yeah. And, you know, we sort of looked at, like, that's an important point as well. It's like within the rib plating, how many of these patients got a, a washout, like a chest washout, or had an, a component of an empyema. And I think that in our institution, we routinely do VATS as part of the procedure and wash out any of like retained hemothorax or something like that, that would obviously be at a higher risk of increasing infection rates. And then we, per the Chest Wall Injury Society guidelines, try and plate our patients at a, you know, a particular timing period within their injury, which limits the time to development of something like an empyema, which would lead to an infected field. Well, it's clear to me that you have a mastery of this topic. I'm just a little disappointed that you presented at that meeting and not at our meeting. Can you explain how that discussion happened or whose idea that was? Well, I think that was mainly Dr. Bauman's idea here, my excellent mentor. But, you know, Dr. (laughs) Bauman and I are a bit bonded at our institution by our osteopathic education. Yeah, it's understandable. He just wasn't sure if his his abstract would be accepted at the summit. The program committee is really, you know, stringent. I just don't know. You better submit somewhere else. I was very nervous, so... Yes, I could tell. So when you report the rate of infection, or when you read things in the literature about infection rates and hardware rates, and we read something like 2%, is it uniformly reported as 2% of patients that get that condition, or 2% of the pieces of hardware that are implanted or explanted? It's patients. So, you know, count it not in terms, you know, because that's a really good question, because when you look at patients that we, or, you know. It's a little unfair. It's a little unfair to, to, I, I keep interrupting you, but the point I want to make is that, when you when you fix a femur, you put in one piece. Of, that patient only has one piece of yes. hardware. When we fix ribs, we put in six pieces of hardware. But the standard of 
rate of infection is is so we have to be six times better to have the same rate of infection, <laughs> right? That's an excellent point. I was going to say, Dr. Bauman and I have some other things in the works, and so he's tasked me at looking through our database and some things and. I mean, it's amazing how one person has, you know, 18 fractures and you take the stats on that and it's a whole different world. So I think that's worth, but it's a little bit unfair when we put in eight pieces of hardware to have the same the same standard. Although one could argue it's like one operative field. You could argue that, but you may be. <laughs> like what's the chances you're going to have one plate that's infected and not oh, all no, of that's, them that... if one of them's well, infected? You, do you... Well, you tell us, but I reasonably... Well, yeah, that's something I'm we... confident you can infect one plate and not the others. I've seen that before. Okay. Oh, we'll see. Now, that sounds like a real... Depending on study. proximity. Yes. I think that's the next study. Particularly, yeah, I agree. Okay. Particularly with minimally yep. invasive... We might need some more people with splitting. infected plates to answer that question. I feel good about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Don't invite Crisco. I bet he licks the plates before he puts them on. I'm sure Yeah. Since Chris was not here, we got to make fun of Like, I bet you he's got like an infection rate of about 25% or something. Another absence? Does he understand that these unexcused absences will get him kicked off? I have I a low threshold for this kind of thing. <laughs> Unacceptable. This, this guy. Yeah. How, how dare he? So rude. He could get fired from his volunteer role right now. He's so close. He's going to quit before I fire him from it. <laughs> Poor guy. All right, well, Sarah, do you want to go ahead and update us on the inner workings of CWIS? Don't we have a new website platform rolling out here pretty quick? It was going to go up today, but it has to go down for a, at least a full day while we make the switch over. And then with everything going on, the submissions and all of that, that was just not going to work out. So it's going to be any day now, but that will be good. So watch the newsletter. That will be very cool. We do have December 14th, we are having Journal Club, and it the article is actually was written by three of our members. It was a collaborative effort between George Washington and Penn. So watch the bulletin and you'll get to see more details about that. It will be on December 14th at two o'clock mountain time. So it should be in a relative time zone that works for, for most people. So please sign up and participate in that one. On the 21st, we're going to be doing kind of an info session about two new types of submissions that you can still submit for, for the summit. So one is about the CINE session and the, the types of videos that you can submit for the CINE session. I know both Dr. Bauman and Dr. White already have videos available. I know Dr. Hansen has a video available. I'm trying to think who else already told me. Oh, Dr. Thomas has one. I believe Dr. Erickson has one. So things are starting to, to really move. We're going to have short videos that talk about you know, kind of the way I do X, Y, Z, some small procedure or some small piece of a procedure, excuse me, that you'll be able to film and show. And, and so we're going to give some details about specifically what that looks like in that. The other part of that webinar will be discussing what the poster presentation will look like. We are going to handle the poster presentations just a little bit different this year with everybody's posters being displayed continuously. And then there will also be an opportunity for some of the posters to be presented from the podium. And so we'll be discussing what that will look like. So all of that kind of summit information will be coming out in a webinar on December 21st. And again, it'll be either the one o'clock or two o'clock. I can't remember. I'll, I'll include it in the bulletin, but on that afternoon, and then it will of course be recorded and posted and sent out and all of those good things if you can't make it. And then last but not least, there will be case review this month on December 28th. We have one case submitted already, so we still have opportunity for one or two more cases. So if you have one, send it my way and we'll look forward to 
to that. And that is also at one o'clock mountain. So a handful of things happening this month. Busy, busy, busy. It's exciting. Well, let's go ahead and move into the final stitch. Who wants to go first? Any takers? You bet. I'll go first. All right. So we are wrapping up the end of college football, friends. And tomorrow, my Utah Utes are playing in the Pac-12 championship. So exciting. Got to beat those SC Trojans. So that is Friday night, as far as I'm concerned. And I am pumped. And then when we beat the Trojans, we will be playing in the Rose Bowl again for year number two. So everybody get excited. Get your Ute gear out. Get your face painted red. So exciting. This is embarrassing because it was a long time ago, but the last college football game I went to was the Utah Utes um, and that's not USC. That means it was a good day for you. Well. Yep, but it was a long time ago, but my <laughs> brother was in the marching band at Utah. Wow. So What did he play? He played the tuba. No way. Awesome. <laughs> that is way cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He's really cool. I'll go next. I think Dr. Carl Hansen deserves a shout out. He's on this call. He's quietly behind the curtain. He's the guy behind the curtain. And he's making this happen for us and making us sound good. Well, he, I, he will. And our listeners probably just don't know that we have a, another member of the of the Fracture Line team, and it's Dr. Hansen. So Sarah, we need to bring him out from behind the curtain and introduce him to everybody at some point. Should we do that? I think that would be fantastic. I did want to just clarify, you said he makes us sound good. I'm just going to clarify, he makes us sound better. He makes so, us sound better. I don't know that we can go all the way better to saying that. that this podcast is good. It's just better than it would be in its raw format. He makes us sound gooder. <laughs> right. Dr. Henson does his best with the raw play he's given. And at some point, I'm sure he just shrugs his shoulders and goes, "I there's nothing else I can do for you wacky people. And there you go. And can I put in another pitch? I just want to underline what you said earlier about the, the video session at, at the summit has the potential to be a really cool new addition to our repertoire. It's predicated on people getting their cameras out and filming some aspect of the of their next case or the case after that. And it could be pretty mundane. If you flip the Wheatlander around and hang it from your belt or something, just some cool thing that you do that it could be useful. That's that's the kind of thing we're looking at. We, we're not going to have time for you to show a whole case. So we're talking about parts of cases. And as you know, we'll we'll accommodate everybody. Even if you know we get 10, 12 submissions, we'll get everybody in there. So start filming some aspect of your case that you think is pretty cool. That's all I got. All right. Well, I'll go next. I just got to say to Dr. Prince, Dr. Wiffles, oh, here we go. PJ, and whoever I missed over in the Netherlands, you guys are going down on Saturday. Yeah, it's a battle, battle <laughs> going out, man. Here we go. The bright orange heat. They're going down. Boom. They're going down. That bright orange heat's going down, man. USA all the way. <laughs> That's what I'm saying for the World Cup this year. So, I don't know. Oh, man. It's getting... It's getting <laughs> them, them some fighting words. Yep. Sorry, fellas. I'll make it up to you at the summit in April. I'll buy you a drink or something like that. But it's Saturday. Yeah. I got to be on this side of the fence. Yeah. I like so. it. I like it. Should be soccer talk. Bring it. It's good. Bring it's it. so good. Christy, you got something? Well, I don't have much to top that other than I, for the last however long, have been watching Sarah Ann eat her Twizzlers. And I really can all, I just, you know, I need some candy and I'm hoping I have something yummy for dinner. That's the best thing you can hope for in life is like good food. I'm yeah. convinced of it. Considering your location, it's bound to be beef and corn. Can't go wrong with but, that. Nebraska steaks are the best. I yeah. would like to say that. Could that's, be pork. Could be pork. Yeah. But it's going to yeah. have corn and it's going to have beef, most likely. That's okay like with it. me. I think Dr. Hansen right. should give us his final stick. Yeah. Man behind the curtain. Turn on your mic. 
Well, so my final stitch is pretty simple. It centers around the fact that this will be the first time that my microphone has worked for the four times that I've been here. And I've got to be thankful for that. It's the little things. It's the simple things. And the other thing I was thinking as you were talking, Dr. White, was you're talking about Wheatlanders hanging from my belt. Is that why maybe we're seeing some higher infection rates in other areas? You know, you're just like, <laughs> I put it here and put it in the patient and I don't know why, but infection rates seem to just go up. You just got such a curious nature about you, Carl. You just, you just nothing gets past you. So, I try. Uh, I try. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with me, guys. It was fun. All right. Yeah, no, thanks. It was fun. Thanks, Christy. Good luck. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Thank you.